The National Network for Youth is a nonprofit dedicated to transforming systems to end youth homelessness nationally. Sherry was a National Network for Youth National Youth Advisory Committee member. When she was 18, she was pregnant, homeless, and forced into trafficking. She bounced from friend to friend and shelter to shelter. She became a mother, got her first apartment, and then also got evicted all at age 19. After mending family relationships, she was able to work and go to school all with her family's support in an effort to secure a brighter future for herself and her daughter. She graduated with her associate's degree at 22, and with that degree, she hopped into a career and out of the check-to-check -check lifestyle. But despite all of those efforts to build a brighter future for herself and her daughter, she was always denied housing because of her past. It seemed as if the choice continued to be either live with an abuser or in various unstable housing situations. If she went to a social services agency for help, she'd be told to buy a hotel room. Sherry asks, do I really have a choice or is youth homelessness and trafficking truly a never-ending cycle? Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, and you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. Today, we're kicking off our four-part series on vulnerabilities that lead to trafficking by talking about homelessness and human trafficking. So let's get right to it by saying hi to my co-host today. Annie Sovic is the Busting on the Lookout Program Director. Thank you so much for joining me, Annie. Thanks so much, Helen. It's great to be here. And I have the honor of introducing our guest today. So Darla Bardeen is the executive director of the National Network for Youth. Darla, thank you so much for taking the time to join the Driving Freedom podcast. Would you please introduce yourself? Just tell us a little bit about your organization and kind of offer our listeners some insight into what homelessness looks like and particularly the ways that it may look unique for youth. Thank you so much, Annie and Helen, for having me. Like you mentioned, I'm the executive director for the National Network for Youth. We are celebrating 45 years as an organization, um, which is exciting. We partner with over 300 runaway and homeless youth service providers all across the United States. And we partner with young people who have experienced homelessness, human trafficking, lots of trauma, and many different systems through our National Youth Advisory Council. We primarily focus on federal policy advocacy. We're seeking to change policies so that we can prevent homelessness and human trafficking from happening, but changing policies and programs so that it's easier and more accessible for those who have survived both homelessness and trafficking to access what they need. We also provide support to communities through our local cross-system collaboratives, and that's direct support, training, technical assistance, to really help communities create a youth-centric strategy and response to homelessness. So really putting young people at the center. And now to your question about what does homelessness look like for young people? I talk to a lot of people and they often are kind of surprised that there are young people who are experiencing homelessness here in the United States. And I think because the picture that people see in their minds when they hear the word homelessness is an older person on the street holding a cardboard sign. But really how homelessness looks for young people is not just one way. There are some young people that that is how they experience homelessness. What the research shows us is it's much more of a hidden homelessness. It can look like them living in their car. It can look like them sleeping in abandoned buildings, riding public transportation all night to try to stay safe. And also, I think very commonly for young people, it's also what we call couch surfing. And couch surfing is temporarily staying with others until they ask you to leave. So it's not a place that they're hanging out during the day. 
And just to make sure we're all on the same page, I'm talking about young people who are 13 to 24, who are experiencing homelessness unaccompanied by a parent or a legal guardian. And research has shown that there's 4.2 million young people who experience homelessness every year in the United States. I I never even thought about or considered couch surfing. Like I have had friends who experienced that life. I have had youth who I've worked with who have experienced that life. And right, I don't even know if they ever knew to consider themselves homeless to even think about getting resources. They have no legal rights to that couch. They're not on a lease. You know, they can be asked to leave at any time. And there's no stability there, right? And you're right. A lot of young people who are experiencing homelessness aren't looking for help. There's lots of different pathways to homelessness for young people, but a general experience is trauma. And so there's a lot of broken trust that young people experiencing homelessness have. And so they tend to be quite distrustful. There's a lot of fear of becoming entangled with the police. And there's also a lot of fear of becoming involved in the child welfare system. Before we hop into more of those vulnerabilities, I want to make sure we understand the broad scope of what homelessness can look like, especially for our audience, many of whom are not driving in downtown areas or cities that we typically think of when we think of a homeless population. But what about the youth who aren't in cities, who our audience may come in contact with more often? There's a specific subset of the homeless youth population that travels from city to city. They don't stay anywhere for very long. I've heard stories. One of our young people used to hop trains and she shared a very tragic story that like her best friend died train hopping. So for them, they're kind of dealing with the crappiness of being homeless by saying they're seeing America. And they use the major highways in the U.S. and hitch rides, hop trains. I wonder how many of our drivers listening, truck drivers, as you talk about travelers especially, You've mentioned a couple of different types of how youth are experiencing homelessness and entering homelessness, but why is it harder for them to find stable and consistent housing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of challenges that young people face because a lot of the pathways to homelessness for them is a lot of young people are fleeing sexual abuse, physical abuse, just like an adult would flee a domestic violence relationship. Other young people are LGBTQ and they are kicked out of their house because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Also, we know girls are kicked out um, for becoming pregnant. And we know a lot of young people are exiting systems to homelessness, whether it's mental health placement, the juvenile justice system. You know, young people are aging out of the foster care system or they've exited the child welfare system to like adoption or a kinship placement or reunification with birth parents. And it doesn't work out. Not wanting to go back into that system, right? You reach a point where I've been passed around in this system and overlooked in this system enough that I believe I would do better on my own. Right. And really trying to be invisible, right? So that you don't get caught up in any other systems because they don't really believe that there is a system that cares about them. When young people find themselves in a homelessness situation, they're like, where am I going to sleep tonight? And that's their focus. I had a young man say he would break into apartment buildings to sleep on the roof because that was safer than being on the streets with the older adults who are on the streets, which is their future. I mean, we know that up to 40% of chronically homeless adults were first homeless as young people, and they didn't get the help that they needed. And so there has not been any type of focus really on the invisible homeless. 
I mean, I had a young, young woman say to me once, the open sky never made me bleed. She actually felt safer sleeping outside than in the housed situation of her family. You know, and Darla, as I'm listening to you, I mean, it's just like everything you're talking about and the combination of it, I mean, it just screams vulnerability to exploitation. And so I'm curious if you can kind of shift a little bit and talk about those intersections between homeless youth and sex trafficking, or even with these kids being so vulnerable to scams and fraud. Yeah, I mean, all of the above, unfortunately. I mean, I think research shows being sexually abused as a child is like the highest indicator of vulnerability for, you know, sex trafficking in the future. And research shows a very disproportionate number of our, you know, young people experiencing homelessness are survivors of sexual abuse as well. The other thing is, you know, these young people are on their own, they're unaccompanied. And so there isn't a caring adult looking out for them, trying to steer them in the right direction. And quite frankly, they distrust a lot of adults. These young people are extremely vulnerable and those who want to exploit know that. We have providers who have shared, you know, they have traffickers that target their programs that will sit outside in their cars, try to target young people in those Runaway and Homeless Youth Act programs because the traffickers know those young people are in a vulnerable situation. And traffickers also know that you can find young people hanging outside in certain neighborhoods or at bus stops or different transit stops. They approach young people as if they're going to help them fix their problems. You touched a little bit on scams and fraud. Could you add a little bit more about what that could look like in a labor trafficking situation? So in a labor traffic scenario, stories that we've heard frequently are, you know, a group of young people hanging out on the street. Someone comes up saying, hey, do any of you need a job? Because young people want to get employed so they can pay their own bills and take care of themselves. And it's like, oh, it's okay if you don't have an ID because, you know, they didn't think to grab their birth certificate and social security card, don't have a valid government ID. Without that, it's hard to access a lot of public supports and systems. And if you're a minor, you can't get any of those things without parental signature. So it's like barrier, barrier, barrier. You're hungry, you need a job, you don't have an ID. And the one story I can share, a young person shared with me is, you know, they were selling magazines. Um, and it was a bunch of young people, they were kind of dropped off in a van, and then picked up, did they meet their quota? They were given pizza and a motel room at night, never paid. And then they happened to encounter a street outreach worker funded by the Runaway and Homeless Youth Act program, which is one of the federal programs that we advocate for. And then they were connected to Greyhound, which has a free bus service to get young people back home. You know, in the sex trafficking or sexual exploitation, maybe they'll use the boyfriend I'll take care of you. I'll give you food. I'll give you a place to stay. You know, I'll buy you new clothes. All the things that young person doesn't have. Someone who is giving them attention, saying, I care about you. I love you. Right. Because it's not just that youth are looking for food and housing. We aren't just input output robots. We desire to belong, to be loved, to be in a relationship. So how much does that speak to someone experiencing being kicked out of a house, being kicked out of their family? You want someone who's going to take care of you, look out for you. And so it's definitely not like this transactional, right? It's, it's community. So those are just some of the, you know, examples of and pathways of experiencing homelessness and human trafficking. Polaris runs the National Human Trafficking 
hotline, when you look at their data of top five risk factors for sex trafficking or labor trafficking, unstable housing and homelessness, being a runaway youth are always in the top five. Yeah. As you're talking about all these pathways and as you're talking about all these vulnerabilities, I mean, just how much the lists are exactly the same. Yes. Like the vulnerabilities to homelessness are the same as what helps like facilitate human trafficking, right? And and yeah. as, you're talking, uh, as you're talking about trauma upon trauma from ver- of various forms being experienced, whether it started in the home, which means I'm more likely to experience more trauma. I mean, there there is like, unfortunately, awful research that shows that young people are assaulted at a very high rate while experiencing homelessness. So if assault wasn't, you know, or abuse wasn't your pathway, it is very likely to be your experience once you are experiencing homelessness, sexual assault, physical assault, rape, stealing stuff. You know, what we hear is that it's it's older adults experiencing homelessness who are the perpetrators. And so for us, you know, there's all these, there's billions of dollars going to fund adult shelters and housing programs. And our young people don't feel safe entering an adult shelter. They feel vulnerable, even among the homelessness population, because their assumption is they're going to get bullied, they're going to get harmed consistently, consistently, they need their own programs with other young people where they feel safe, that people genuinely care about them. I mean, when you talk to frontline staff and service providers, I feel like the biggest thing people can do who are encountering young people experiencing homelessness is to genuinely care. It was something that we regularly hear from survivors and that you know, we at TAT always want to emphasize to the industry professionals that we work with is to never underestimate the value of kindness and generosity and caring interactions that you may have that can be very heroic. And so, you know, we just want to remind our listeners that those small interactions, they matter, even if you don't ultimately see the impact of that. I do want to shift because one of the things, again, that we hear a lot from survivors of trafficking, but also domestic violence is how fear of homelessness or lack of housing options may keep them in abusive, exploitative situations for far longer than they otherwise may have stayed. So can you talk a little bit about that piece of it as well? There's so many barriers to accessing housing, you know, for young people, for survivors of trafficking, because the rules and the federal law, quite frankly, was not written for young people or for survivors of trafficking. It's kind of like we're added as like a sub bullet, sub bullet, sub bullet eligible category. You need to suffer for a long time in homelessness, and then I'm going to make you a priority. Your expectation and your hope for people exiting chronic homelessness is typically that you get them into permanent housing and that they stay there, that they're not housing resistant. Whereas for us, it's like we want to intervene as soon as possible. I mean, our youth providers say the first 24 hours is when young people are the most vulnerable because they're still trying to figure it out. They haven't gotten caught up in hopefully a trafficking situation yet. In ideal world, 
our providers want to connect with young people if we can't prevent it from happening in the first place within the first 24 hours. But HUD doesn't fund housing and services by and large for minors and wouldn't consider them eligible or a priority. If you're a survivor of trafficking, you're eligible for HUD homelessness assistance. They have to disclose and say, I'm a survivor of trafficking. There's not too many of our young people who would tell a perfect stranger at an intake. You talked about the trust component of like, these are youth who've experienced trauma and a million reasons to not trust someone. To be like, we have 30 minutes to get all of your very intimate information to then I'll give you, here are five resources. Now you can go take care of everything and we have served. No way. That's just not realistic. Our youth model really relies heavily on an outreach component. Finding, identifying young people. We're being proactive. There's no expectation that we are sitting in a room and young people are just going to come flooding in. Whether it's a street outreach program, drop-in center, some type of community-based outreach, you know, skilled street outreach workers who are not dressed in suits, you know, and they're showing up with food, water, and usually a card with like, hey, if you or somebody you know needs a place to stay or services, they can call these numbers. Because a lot of young people that we work with, they won't self-disclose. They'll talk about their friend. We know that that friend is them, but it's a way to start to build a relationship. And so ideally in a street outreach program, you're showing up in the same kind of neighborhoods or parks. So you can start to build that trust with young people and also peer outreach workers. So formerly homeless young people doing street outreach, or just having a drop-in center where young people can come, wash their clothes, get food, you know, start to build a relationship with on-site case managers. So I'm thinking about your your street outreach program and also how you mentioned earlier, you know, that Greyhound has a program that assists youth in getting home. So I'm curious for people who are working at some of these locations that homeless youth may kind of congregate or hang out at, you know, such as bus stations, are there ways that they can be supporting your effort? Should they be handing out the kinds of cards you're mentioning? Just what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I really think it depends on their comfort level, right? Try to have a conversation. Hey, you want me to buy you a sandwich? If you feel comfortable buying a sandwich. Hey, if you if you happen to need a place to stay or any services, you can always contact 1-800-RUNAWAY, 24-7, text, chat, call. You don't have to be a runaway. You know, you can just be in need of housing and services. On our website, we are a membership organization. So we do have a list of all of our members who are serving young people across the country. So you can always go there. So those are, I think, a couple of things you can do. Some of this overlaps, I recognize, but how can our truck drivers be on the lookout? Do you have anything specific that you'd say to them? Yeah, I would say some of that overlaps, but for truck drivers, I think especially you might encounter travelers. And so they often look like backpackers, right? So they have these big backpacks because that's their life. And they're near a road. They're not hiking a mountain. So if there's young people with backpacks who are clearly not hiking, they could be, you know, experiencing homelessness. They might not necessarily be looking for resources, but some of them may. You know, a lot of young people will test adults to be like, you know, why is this person talking Mm. to me? So they might be a little edgy, but that's really, Mm. you know, the trauma and the testing and the distrust. Young people experiencing homelessness really identify hunger 
a little bit above a housing issue, right? So, so anytime you can buy a sandwich or, or anything for young people to eat is always appreciated. A survivor leader. I mean, one of her stories that she shares is that she was homeless after leaving a trafficking situation and she was at a bus stop in the rain. The bus driver just said, Hey, you can come on the bus and would you like a sandwich? But just offer of humanity, that recognition Mm -hmm. that I'm just going to give this to you and that's it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd want to add? Anything you'd want to leave our listeners with? Well, thank you so much for inviting me and caring and being passionate about these intersections. I really appreciated the time. Thank you all who are listening for what you do. I truly believe that one person has the power to make a difference in the trajectory of someone's life. Check out our website at unforuse.org and look forward to more conversations. Thank you so much, Darla, for speaking with us today and for all the work you are doing advocating for youth so that they truly feel like they have a choice to find stable housing and to get out of abusive situations. Darla hit on this, but studies from various cities across the United States and Canada have asked their youth experiencing homelessness about human trafficking. And anywhere from 14 to 40% responded acknowledging involvement in human trafficking, sex or labor trafficking. As we've talked about so many factors acting as barriers to stable housing, including the desire to be known by the welfare or the justice system, the acknowledgement that they're even homeless or that there could be resources available to them, as well as them maybe not even just having their ID that could help them even secure a job. All of these things are pressures on these youth who are just trying to figure their way in the world. Check out the resources in the show notes to know better how to advocate for youth in your communities, whether in a rural, urban, or suburban area. And remember that your kind face, your kind gesture could help another human experiencing rough and traumatic situations. And if you ever see these behaviors, looks like you see a youth involved in commercial sex, don't hesitate to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline to get that youth connected to supports. The national hotline number is 1-888-3737-888. Because you are out there on the road, in your city, in your community, and in your living room, you truly are driving freedom. 